Hello, welcome to a new episode of For the Love of Weather podcast. This is the podcast where we discuss all things weather and how they impact our daily lives. We hope that you leave this episode and every episode that you listen to loving the weather just that little bit more. Hi, I'm meteorologist Gemma. Hello, and I'm meteorologist and weather presenter Ashling. And we made it to another episode. It's very exciting. But tonight we have Jonathan Lukies. He's currently the owner of a farm at Camus Hall. And actually, I've done a little bit of research on the farm. It's really quite an interesting thing, but I think you must have farming in your blood to be actually able to farm. It requires a lot of time, a lot of patience, and a lot of knowledge about a lot of things. But you've been living there since about the 90s with your wife and four children, and you've introduced a whole bunch of new things over the years to keep it up to date, modernize it, and to keep it in business as well. So without further ado... We always like to start off by asking our guests, Jonathan, where did your first love of farming come from? I think it was from a very young age. I um, I was lucky because I always wanted to be a farmer. I'm fifth generation here on this farm. And um, I followed my grandfather around like a puppy dog. And um, my father going around the farm, wanting to drive tractors, wanting to grow crops. Um, enjoying the wildlife, enjoying the countryside, and always wanted to make my living from farming. That's pretty incredible. I also want to say as well, over the years, I have done a lot of farming forecasts and I have complete imposter syndrome because people used to say to me, oh, you know, what's the weather doing here, there and everywhere? But I've always said this and I've said this on a ton of podcasts as well. A farmer or someone who works the land or perhaps fishes or lives you know lives by the sea or does something like that they are so much better at forecasting for their own little area there's so many complexities from one field to another to the corner of one field to another field so I always felt like very confident like offering up trends of like oh it's getting colder it's getting warmer but actual super detail on a farm I would nearly say that is you you know more than I do you know more than I do no matter how many books I read I will never know as much as you do about your own farm it's so fundamental to everything we do. So obviously in farming, we have a lot of fundamentals affect how we make a living. Uh, obviously world markets, um, staffing, um, which we have issues with at the moment um, since Brexit and things. Um, the, the, the cost of fertilizer, the cost of machinery, um, uh, trying to get hold of things which in the last two or three years has been difficult but the biggest fundamental by far is the weather it always has been and it always will be whatever happens in farming the weather is the most important thing in your success in a year of farming um, obviously fishermen and other people have the same have exactly the same issues and problems as we do but farming is totally fundamental how much do you where do you consume your weather where do you get your weather forecast from so i um with all due respect to you as a meteorologist um this country seems to be very hard to predict weather in and i've been to various countries around the world and the uk seems to be about the hardest for anybody to predict and obviously that's because of we're an island and the Atlantic Ocean and um, North Sea. We've got lots of things. We've got big land masses all around us. And um, 
I get my weather from a, a, a variety of places, obviously um, TV, radio, but I pay for two or three uh, free um, other forms. Of, I've got a, a weather station through a company called Sencrop, and they have, they cover the southeast of England, and there's, I don't know, a couple of hundred weather stations all around. So that gives us local knowledge. You've got the national weather, um, but we know that that can be quite severely wrong at times. And dark sky and the, uh, uh, other, other weather stations, weather people. And it's only when they, even, even actually, if they all agree, even six to 12 hours in advance, they can be wrong. So there is, is going back to what you said earlier, we get a feel for the weather ourselves. We, we have a feeling about whether you're going to go and fill a sprayer with, uh, with stuff to go and put on fields or fertiliser or whatever. Um, I will ring, I have a weather, uh, a weather company, WeatherQuest, who I will ring to say, I've just filled up the sprayer to go and spray some fungicide on some mildew or something on some wheat. And if it gets washed off within half an hour, you've totally wasted all of your money they will say you've got a storm coming in over Harlow and it's going to be with you in half an hour so you just stop and you wait they're not always right but they're 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 pretty good within two or three hours yeah we, we I, I use a mixture of things for and also planning we have a hundred staff in our peak and picking fruit and our customers coming in for uh, events for picking fruit Halloween Easter and lots of other bits and pieces that we do because we have a farm shop and a cafe and outside entertainment as well as growing crops. It's, it's vital for us to know, certainly within a few hours, but hopefully within a couple of days of what's going to happen. Yeah, it's really actually, you know, I so you're basically consuming your information in lots of different ways, as many people do now. I actually love that little app, Dark Sky. I think it's brilliant. Um, but interestingly as well, when you talk about the national forecast, you know, you, you have like two minutes at the most to cover the whole entire country so I'm guessing you you um you take your kind of air air direction from the national forecast and sort of fill in the blanks then in the middle as to what it might mean for you to have an easterly or westerly but one thing I am curious about if you do consume your information on all these different platforms what are the little red alerts in your head where you think I do not like what I'm listening to I'm not comfortable with what I'm listening to is there any words any types of weather that you think oh I'm really wor- I'm wor- I'm I'm worried. I'm not happy. It depends on what you're trying to do. So if you're um, trying to do cultivations, you're planning ahead to sow some wheat or you know sow a crop. There are sometimes you want rain, there are sometimes you don't want rain. You're always looking three or four days in advance because you're trying to plan going forward about what you do. This year has been a good example because we were so dry in the summer and we were desperate for rain and the forecasts were all saying there's rain four or five days away and the closer you get to the four or five days away, it disappeared, disappeared, it's another four or five days away and it never happened. And it just keeps pushing away, pushing away, pushing away. It it, it varies on what job we're trying to do on the farm. Um, So you just have to take a gut feeling which you mentioned earlier about, you know, what you think. If you're going to sow a crop, 
into a really dry ground, which we did this summer um, or early autumn, there's no point putting a load of seed into the ground that's gonna sit there for a month and be eaten by slugs. So you um, have to be pretty sure that if you're gonna go and spend thousands of pounds putting something in the ground, you're gonna get a rain pretty soon after it. Um, whether that's grass seed or wheat or whatever it is, um, you've got to sort of plan. And, and the gut feelings are if you, you meteorologists will have three or four models that you work off and you're looking at a European model and an American model and um, various bits and pieces. And if they all agree on something and it's within 24 hours, it's normally right. But if it's three, four days away and one model, the European model saying one thing and the American model saying another thing, you just don't listen to a single thing because it's no one knows what's going to happen. Are you sort of quite accepting about that uncertainty? What can you do about it? No, yeah. Well, it, you can't. You can't that's, wait. <laughs> that, that's, that's life, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's just how it is. Yeah. So how did you feel when you started hearing quite a few days out this year that there was going to be temperatures of 40 degrees? Um, it's really challenging because it has so many effects on the business. It affects my strawberries hugely more than anything else and the raspberries. It actually cooked my raspberries on the south-facing side of the rows. I actually cooked and went white so they went from red to white and totally and then we had to pay people to pick them off and throw them away because you couldn't even use them for jam the strawberries all ripened so quickly uh instead of being spread out over so a, a, a summer fruiting strawberry variety would would normally have a four-week season we had a two and a half week picking season this year because it was so hot and unfortunately that happened just before uh, the school holiday started. So we had an absolute glut of fruit uh, just when there was nobody coming to pick it. So we picked, uh, we filled up eight bench freezers with fruit and stuff because we do our own lollies and uh, ice cream and jam and all kinds of bits. We give stuff to people to make gins and all kinds of stuff. So we try and use whatever we can. But there was such a glut that we ended up throwing away about 12 tonnes, well, six tonnes this year, 12 tonnes last year of, of, of strawberries, which was a, a real pain, and, and then a tonne of raspberries as well. It's, it, it's all about timings, um, school holidays. If you, if you don't have, extremes aren't good for farming. That's the easiest way to say it. So if you have uh, extreme heat, extreme rain, and, we, and that's the way the climate's going, as we all know. Um, so it's making it more and more tricky and, and we, I'm probably jumping the gun, but we do have tunnels and bits and pieces to try and control some of those elements. And we have a spread of varieties and we have a spread of a season so that all our eggs aren't in one basket. But um, it, it 40 degrees, to answer your question, it was in, incredibly difficult, far worse than torrential rain because it just totally destroyed the crop. Do you know, you say about jumping the gun about building tunnels and things. I mean, I think that's, I don't think you are. Personally. I think that's incredibly clever and smart to be trying to mitigate against everything. But also it just occurred to me as well, even if you 
you can't let people work in 40 degrees I'm guessing are you no. probably you know you couldn't and then so would you do you pick at night time is that possible or how do you well, how do you even get night. around that how did you do that so uh, when it gets that hot um we the guys start at half four in the morning and they'll pick through to about 11 or 12 o'clock and then they'll stop till um four five o'clock and then they'll pick again and in the past not at the moment because i used to supply supermarkets and i don't anymore all direct sales but when we were supplying supermarkets and they have quotas that you have to hit and you have to have the right amount of fruit in the right quality on the right day the right time you have to predict that two weeks in advance it was incredibly difficult you had to get them to do those hours in order to get it and then you have to run the packing house through the night to get everything packed and done it's one of the reasons why all of my sales are direct now we don't have to pick quite so much we rely on the public to do it they pick it for themselves um but they won't come out when it's 40 degrees because over 28 degrees we found that they won't actually come out and pick for it because it's too hot and I don't blame them you've touched a little bit about sort of how dry it was this year as well but how else has the weather this year impacted your farm in particular well we had to um we have uh reservoirs where we uh, we have to irrigate all of our fruit because um, they're grown. A lot of them grown on tabletops or in pots, so we have to irrigate. If we, if we didn't, if we didn't have any water, all of the plants would die. So that's not for this year. That's for next year as well, and possibly the year after. So the strawberries and raspberries and blueberries—they're all in pots. The blackberries, blackcurrants, gooseberries—they're in the ground. They're a bit more forgiving. The ground's more forgiving because they can put their roots down deeper. But our strawberries, when it's really hot, are getting. Um, two minutes of water every 20 minutes. So if you run out of water, you're in a muddle. I had to buy, I had, I thought I had a million gallons buffer of water. Um, and I've never needed to get close to running out, but I had to buy an extra million gallons of water from four kilometers away and pipe it in to the farm in order to get enough water to keep my plants alive this year. So that was a very expensive project and takes a lot of stress and planning to do it. That's just incredible. I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. That's unbelievable. But now, now that you have done all of this once, are you, does it, does it, how does it make you feel about farming in the future? It's a challenge. I mean, I, I love a challenge. That, that's what all farmers do, especially with high value crops like soft fruit. The challenge is part of what drives us because it's it's exciting and um, it's survival and and that's what you have to do. And there are parts of the world that have a lot tougher time than we do, um, but we've made a living out of it and um, we'll continue to do so. We just think outside the box. That's why when things like COVID come along with farmers, we just yeah with our retail operation and everything else. We think outside the box, we move forward and we find a way out of it because nothing is as difficult as the weather. There is, there is nothing, n- no fundamental affecting our business more difficult than the weather. COVID, Brexit, whatever, is nothing compared to the weather. So we're used to thinking outside the box, reacting, planning, and it's, it's actually exciting. You need a lot of energy, and I don't know how many more years I'll do it before the next generation takes over, but you, yeah. It's, it's, it's lovely. 
You mentioned that you had a weather station on your farm. Do you ever look at the data that comes out of that and sort of look at the records over the last few years to see what's happening with the weather at your farm in particular? Every day. I've got got 50 years of records here. Yeah, so I I can tell you, um, albeit it's not all from directly on this farm, but with farms within the area, going back to 1972, and I've got it here next to me, so I... I know exactly. It's only rainfall, really, rather than temperatures. But I know that they kind of correlate together. And I obviously have a memory. I'm 52, so I've got a memory going back. Certainly, to, I remember 76. So you know all of this information and data. Actually, I'm curious, how did you manage in November? It was a huge amount of rainfall. Did that, that... How did that impact you? Did it refill any of your um, water supply? Yeah, so the reservoirs, we've got one, got two reservoirs, and one of them is nearly full, the other one's half full. So we, I didn't think, going back in September, I thought, we're never going to fill these reservoirs, what are we going to do next year? But actually, this really wet um, six, eight weeks has um, saved us for next year, because what I was really worried about was a dry winter if we'd had a dry winter this that would be more painful than the dry summer that we've just had dry winter gives us a chance it builds a water table up but it also lets us replenish our reservoirs our supplies for the following year and 95 96 uh i was 25 26 that they were really tricky because we had two very dry winters and warm summers low rainfall we only had 18 inches 400 and something mil in 96 dry winter and you couldn't yeah everything was really tight but this year we've had i think we've had about 600 mil so i've got it written down but it's about 600 mil this year now so it's this winter's let us replenish things and it's replenished the water table all our land drains are running um so the soil is fine now we've got all of our wheat but our winter crops in before that rain, um, which was hard work, but we did it, which was the right thing to do instead of waiting for more rain. Um, and we close our retail side of the operation after fireworks night. So we sort of muddled through, trying to get cars on and off the car park. The fireworks was tricky, but yeah, we've managed. Are you then like, are these all these little things that you mentioned, you know, open, and, and and that's what we're all actually, we look for stuff like that. We're looking for an experience when you go to a farm, you want to go and pick some fruit, have a cup of tea, you know, it's a, it, you need an experience, don't you, to actually be able to go somewhere. So are you constantly just planning, like you're thinking, oh, maybe I need to like uh, put some stone down in the car park. Like, are you constantly yeah, just planning, 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 exactly planning, planning? That's exactly what I'm doing all the time. If you think about your farm and how you run it, what would be, and you think about the seasons, what would be the ideal weather conditions as you run your farm through the year? It's a really good question. Um, Cold winter. So we'd like a cold winter because that kills bugs, slugs, um, and uh, it does the ground good. It breaks the ground up. Um, Sorry, how does the cold break the ground up? So just dries it out or so, yeah frost, so frost if you put a clod of oh. earth down the ground all the moisture in that obviously when it when it, it freeze thaw 
and it'll just it'll break it all up so it breaks all the ground down so um so it makes nice seed beds then for the spring it kills the slugs and the bugs and bits and pieces there's no harm in it i mean some some of my crops raspberries cherries blueberries blackberries all like they will produce a bigger crop if they get a cold winter than they will if they get a warm winter they'll produce a bigger crop the following year strawberries don't want it more than about minus six or seven or it will it'll kill the plant so that we drop all of our strawberries off the tabletops down onto the ground because the ground acts like a radiator because it's got a it's got that kind of radiant heat and, and that that keeps so the, the difference between uh 1.2 meters off the ground which the tabletops are and the ground is between four and six degrees mm. so it'd be six degrees warmer on the ground than it is there so mm. so we drop them all onto the ground the raspberries and blueberries and blackberries and cherries they want that cold because it helps the bud break and it helps them produce more later on one of the problems you can get with wheat is you can get frost lift in really severe cold where it will actually lift the ground about two inches off the ground and it will break the roots off from the plant and it can kill. It's very, very rare, but it can kill. And this is what happens in Russia. So if Russia don't get the snowfall on the top, which acts as a blanket over the top, and if it's open and then they get minus 20, it lifts the ground and it kills all the wood. So that's you know one of the one of the actions of the cold. So Finishing off your question, Gemma, we, we'd like a cold winter, um, a bit of rain in the, in the, in the spring, and you, you want it to, one of the critical things is you don't want it to become warm and then get cold again, because then all of the trees and plants chuck out their flab and they get a frost and it kills them. All. So um, you want it to gradually warm up, and then you want a bit of rain, a bit of sun, and the ideal weather for the summer, really for, for our crops, is a bit of everything, but not extremes. So 20 to 25 degrees, sunshine and showers is idyllic, but it's pretty rare. You either get extreme heat or deluges of rain. And we've had disastrous years in, in both camps that over the years and I can remember I can tell you the year of each one because it it's etched in your mind do you have um a vision of what like a dream farm would look like for you for me here I think in the future we'll have a mixed farm which is how we moved up from Cornwall in 1886 um five generations ago and we had cattle pigs, don't think we had sheep, um, but a variation of crops, sugar beet, potatoes, wheat, and all, all of the other bits, and it was a mixed farm, and I think that's the most healthy farming in the world, and then we went, um, three generations, we went intensive arable farming with a bit of soft fruit, and, and every farm's different, but most of this area is intensive arable farming, and I, I can see us as a farm going back to more of a mixed farm, to having animals, a much more variation of crops. I've already got 35 acres down to environmental things. So wild flower meadows, winter bird food mixes, all that kind of stuff. 
we manage our hedges, we manage our woods, that we coppice our woods on a secular basis. Um, and we, we take more care of the environment this generation. And I've got no criticism for the generations before that didn't, because after the Second World War, it was grow, 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 you know, we all need food. And they just did what they were told and incentivized to do by the government. But my generation and the next generation are definitely far more green fingered and far more enjoying where we live and doing the right thing for the environment. I mean, I, mean, I think farmers have changed a huge amount um, in the last 30 years. That's really incredible to hear. It's just really impressive. You know, it's um, if we could all just look at the environment a little better like you do. Well, it's, it's, our, it's our garden, it's what we live in, and it's, it's, our, it's our responsibility. It's what we want to do, but we have to make a living. And if you look at the capital of a farm, um, so if you say an, an acre of ground is, is £10,000, so if you have, you know, we're a couple of hundred, 270 acres that we own and we rent some other land and bits and pieces. But let's just say for round figures that you're a thousand acre farm and there's lots of thousand acre farms in the southeast of England, arable farms. So that's a 10 million pounds asset. And they will not make more than 1% return on that capital. So people get seen or farmers get seen, and this isn't me because I'm a different bracket and we do different things. And we're quite a diverse business. But people have to earn a living. And if you've got three families living off a thousand acres, you cannot survive three families on a thousand acres. And that's quite frightening, isn't it? So you've got 10 million pounds and three families cannot live off that because they'll be taking 20 grand a year each. And that's it to live off that as an animal farm. But if they're doing other things and so a lot of them are going out and doing, you know, the kids are going, they're working elsewhere, they're doing other things. And they're, in, they're not making any money at the farm and they want, it's their garden, they want to enjoy it. So they are doing more for the environment. One, because it's right. And two, because it's their garden and they want to do it. And there needs to be more working together to try and get that. Yeah, it's right for everything. Thank you very much for telling us all of that. It's absolutely fascinating. Uh, Gemma, do you want to move on to the Get to Know Me round? Yeah, let's do it. So we've got some um, questions here. They're just quick fire questions. Some of them are a little bit weather related and some of them are just quite random. Okay. So first of all, we'd like to ask you, what's your favourite season? Spring. Any reason in particular? I absolutely love it. Um, end of March, April, um, when everything starts to come, we've got beautiful bluebell woods, hearing the first cuckoo, watching everything growing, feeling the warmth on your back, being out there longer days, um, just watching things progress. That's, that's the best time of year. It's a, it's a great time of year. It's Ash's favourite as well. She does like a bit of spring. If you had to choose, which would you prefer, jammy Dodgers or Jaffa Cakes? Jaffas. Why? Ooh, why? love Jaffas. I love Jaffa Cakes. I used to eat a whole box. Which is why I got that. I you know when I was a young man, I, I haven't eaten Jaffa cake for years, but I love Jaffa cakes. Do you have a technique for eating them? Two <laughs> bites. Two <laughs> bites, probably two, three bites. 
If you had to choose, which would you prefer, beaches or mountains? Mountains. Yeah. Every day of the week. This is, I, I don't know, I don't, I feel, I feel a little bit strange asking you this question because you're a farmer, but if you were a fruit or vegetable, what would you be? Mm, good question. Without thinking about it, strawberry seeds on the outside. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. You probably the quickest and most decisive yeah, answer with that question. I know, you've ever had. No delay. <laughs> you don't really think about these questions. They're just coming off the top of your head. I know it's great. If you could invite one person to dinner, it can be anybody at all from any historical time frame or, or even a fictional character. Who would you invite? That's a really good question. I'm going to give that some thought. Um, whatever I say, I'm going to regret it because there'll be somebody later tonight that I think should have said that. Um, I want to go back in time a couple of hundred years, two, three hundred years um, to um, maybe sort of my great-great-grandfather or something like that, but I just want to go back in history to, in, in the farming world, to see what the countryside was like. Um, yeah. So I don't know the actual name, but just back in time. Do you know, actually, that's a lovely answer. I too often wonder that as well, how much the landscape has changed. Yeah. You know, forests and, you know, the 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 field layouts and everything. Actually, so, I love so. history. I just love it because we all we all got here somehow. Yeah. And to let them know that you're still you're yeah. still here. Yeah. Yeah. And our final question for you is one thing that you wish everybody knew about farming. We're doing it for you. We love it. We absolutely love it. We're passionate about it. But um, I do think that they're not, uh, not that I want, I don't think farmers should be patted on the back or anything like that. I don't, that's not what I'm looking for at all. But farmers are undervalued. Throughout the world, they're undervalued because if you take them away, it doesn't matter whether you're vegan, vegetarian, whatever your views are, the world can't live without farmers. And um, they don't actually make a great, you know, they don't make a lot of money. They've got a lot of asset, but they don't make a lot of money. They work incredibly hard against the odds. And um, and it isn't a violin job. It's like they're passionate about what they do and they provide the food on your table and they should be respected. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, when you, when you say it like that as well, it doesn't matter whether you eat meat or not because I think perhaps traditionally when you think of farming, you just think of livestock and things like that. But yeah, where would we be? Yeah, we, we need them. And, and the problem is, like in every industry, you get people that let you down. So there'll be the, the, the huge landowners driving around and Range Rovers saying, get off my land and all those analogies and uh, bits and pieces. They're just such a tiny, tiny, tiny minority. If you actually went around the country and saw all the farmers and how hard they work to make a living and what they do for the countryside, is unbelievable and it's totally undervalued so before we leave we love to ask everybody if they have a little weather wisdoms but do you have any little nuggets of wisdom for us about farming or about growing 
there's so many um but the one that always sticks is the blackthorn so the blackthorn flower when that's out on the hedges when that stays out when it's white you know when it just stays out white there's still cold weather to come so when that when that stays out white for a long time you know there's still more cold weather to come and then it just suddenly disappears like overnight and then you know it's done but the, the blackthorn and the hedges which don't need to be a farmer to see it but when you're driving down the roads and bits and pieces there's also um nature's so clever if there's tons and tons of berries sloes berries and whatever on the trees then you're probably going to get a colder winter than you would normally because it provides for the animals they're my things wow they're brilliant gosh observation amazing they're absolutely brilliant thank you so much jonathan for joining us tonight uh we really do appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure just getting a little insight into what life might be like for you on a day-to-day basis or even over the seasons as well. Thank you very much for your time. Not at all. It's been great. No problem. If you've listened to this podcast and you've enjoyed it too, we would love it if you would share it with anybody else that you think that might want to have a little listen. If you could subscribe, rate and review to the podcast, that would really help us. It helps other people find our podcast. Um, if you want to follow us on Instagram, we are for the love of weather. On Twitter, we are the number four love of weather. And Jonathan, if anyone wants to go and find out a little bit more about Camas Hall Farm, where should they head to? Just head straight to the website, Camas Hall Fruit Farm, and uh, they'll find out if they're going to meet tonight. Brilliant. And thank you again. And just like always, we hope that you leave this episode loving the weather that little bit more. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.